Why don't you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles along the aisles, and it's page 843. 843. Some of the best stuff that I love doing with Laura's family, and Laura's family is a little bit better than my family at this, is sitting around um, a meal or sitting around the family room, sitting on couches and conversing. Laura's family is um, amazing at recalling stories. And some of the stories are bizarre. Just like you sit back and you go, really? But then I start listening to some of my family's stories and go, her family's normal. You know, where you start sitting around and, you know, as a kid, we did really strange kind of things um, to animals because we were on farm, you know. We, we, and I won't get into all those things, too much information, John, but, you know, too much information. I won't go into what we did to fill our time, but we would tell these stories just to re-remember and to retell and get excited. You remember when you did? You remember when? And for some reason, when the family gets together and retells stories, you become even more the family. You become even more of the family when you retell, even if it's those painful, uh, hurtful stories. Sometimes it's in those times where you re-remember and you even see God in the midst of all that, now that you're a few years back and away from it all. You're able to really look and go, yeah, remember when that happened? So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 8, 1 through 21. And this is uh, an event, and you're going to see it at the end, where Jesus asked this question, do you still not yet understand? You still not get it? This is who I am. And for us as the body of Christ, as even as we come up to Thanksgiving, it is critical that we remember and re-remember and ask our, ourselves, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? So, Mark 1. Eight. Let's start Mark 8, verse 1 through 21. Here we go. In those days when a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he, being Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Remember those words with the previous feeding? He had great compassion on them because they have been with me now for three days. And have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered them, How can one feed these people with the bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. 
And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmansua. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, What does this generation, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves uh, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They answered him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. He said to them, Do you not yet understand? Do you still not yet understand? And the funny thing is that this is directed to his disciples, his most intimate people. This wasn't directed to the Pharisees. This is directed to the church. So this is Jesus saying to you, do you not yet understand? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? I've been amongst you. I've been with you. Do you not get it? And I think Jesus has some really strong things. First off, I think Jesus really wants them to understand that He was and is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And He's drawing these images that these good Jewish boys should really understand. Because they would know the story of Moses, of Moshe, this old man who led the children of Israel right out of Egypt. And the children of Israel were hungry while they were wandering around in the desert. And what did God provide? He provided manna or bread from heaven. These little wafers every morning would be available for them to to pick up and to gather. And even this Jesus that is in their midst was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We, We know it as the city of David. But Bethlehem in Hebrew is the city of bread. The Savior in His incarnation came. Born in the city of bread 
And in John, in John 6, why don't you throw that up for me, Craig? Jesus says this, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven and took up residence in Bethlehem, the city of bread. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I'm it. I'm the one that nourishes you. And this is, this is the story that he told after the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples gathered up their, their 12 baskets of leftover food, and they were just like in awe and amazement. Holy cow, check out all this bread. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the bread of life. I feed you. I am the bread of life. And even on the evening of his life, the final evening of his life, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Therefore, at the, the beginning and the end of his earthly time here, Jesus powerfully underscored, underlined, highlighted, put in bold, the great fact that he was the bread of life. And Jesus wanted his, his disciples to really understand this, to grasp it. Because if they would really meditate on this, if they really reflect on it, they would understand his ministry. They would understand the implications of Jesus being the bread of life, which would virtually explain everything about his purpose, about his mission, about his, his whole person. They revealed his power for even for the miraculous multiplication of this bread showed His omnipotence. And it was later a metaphor for His suffering. Jesus also wanted to show these, these disciples that this bread was also for the Gentiles. The earlier feeding, the feeding of the 5,000, was specifically for the Jewish people. He fed the, the 5,000, and they're more likely on the upwards of 10,000 people. And he, they gathered up 12 extra baskets. And we've got to be careful not to over-spiritualize all this stuff. But they gathered up 12 baskets. And for a Jewish person, the number 12 was, was one of those, ah, 12. For there were 12 tribes. And Jesus' disciples took up 12 baskets full leftover food. But in this feeding, the feeding of the 4,000, they took up how many? Seven. They took up seven baskets, which is another one of those numbers in the, in the head of a Jew, good Jewish person where they go, that is the number of completion. So in Jesus feeding the 4,000, them taking up these seven extra baskets full of food, Jesus is saying, it's complete. And on top of that, this 
miracle took place in the area of Decapolis, which was a pagan area. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am not just the bread of life for the Jews, but I'm also the bread of life for the Gentiles. We are Gentiles. We're Gentiles. And Jesus is saying for us, I am your bread of life. This bread miracle for the Gentiles meant that Jesus was the spiritual bread for a lost world, for you and for me. And Jesus was saying that the material is not just enough for humanity. Because even when he was tempted, you know, Satan said, listen, Jesus, turn these rocks into stone. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not playing that game. And he replied back saying, listen, this is where I get my sustenance. From the Word of God. If you're focused on the material, on stuff, you'll soon shrivel. Even if it's good food and good wine and good this and good that. After a while, after a whole life of giving yourself good food, good dress, good experiences, good this, good that, after a while you're going to find yourself being completely hollow. Completely hollow. Completely hollow. And the Jesus needed to, the disciples of Jesus needed to understand that Jesus is the universal bread the spiritual bread that fills their hollowness. And there is no life apart from Him. Third, the supply always meets and exceeds the demand. It always meets and exceeds the demand. Because if we look at verse 6, it says this, And He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks... He broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they set them before the crowd. They, he's always meeting the needs of the people. And again, this is, in the Greek, he's constantly breaking. He's constantly breaking. Here's seven loaves. Breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking. And bre- Jesus is, as the, our spiritual bread, is always able to meet the need. Constantly meeting the need of our spirit, deep spiritual needs, our deep broken places, the places where we're constantly hungry. And he's saying, here, here's more. Here's more. And on top of that, he exceeds our needs. Jesus always exceeds spiritual needs. Always. And I'm not sure that we get that. That Jesus always exceeds our needs. Always. The people came to Christ famished. Just hungry and He had compassion on them. Jesus uses power to feed. Our souls, so to speak, are 
are elastic. The more that we eat, the more they expand. The more they expand, the more we're able to eat. None of us have ever eaten spiritually as much as He wants to give us. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you finally get to that point of eating physically where you're going, if I eat another one, I'm going to pull a Homer Simpson and undo the top button and just sit back. And just because I'm so physically uncomfortable. Spiritually, that is never true. There's always capacity for more. And the more that we consume, the more that we eat, the greater our capacity is for growing. This week I started a, a new discipline. Nice little red book that I know that I cannot lose. Hopefully. And what I've started doing is, uh, I, as the elder candidates and myself are memorizing Scripture. And, and even for my sermon text, I'm, I'm taking the sermon text and, and the memorized Scripture and I'm putting them on one side. And on the other side, I'm writing my notes and my observations of, oh my gosh, this popped out. So for, for weeks, a whole week, I'm just sitting in this going, wow, oh my gosh, this popped off the page. I've never seen this. I've got to figure out what is that word in Greek because I'm kind of a nerd that way. And just, just really seeing these things. But the reason for this is because of a quote from, uh, from Charles Spurgeon. And he said this, It is blessed to eat into the very soul of Scripture, of, of the Bible, until at last you come to talk in spiritual language. And your, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. So that your blood is bibline. Your blood is bibline. And the very essence of the Bible, the Word of God, flows from you. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the bread of life, has come so that we can have blood that runs bibline. So that the very essence of the Bible, of Scripture, just flows out from us. And that's not the kind of people that are standing up on our apologist uh, kind of chair and saying, all right, according to Matthew chapter this, and according to this, that, this, you're going to hell. And on top of that, you, do you not understand predestination? Yeah, you're definitely going to hell because you are not pre-chosen, Derek. Okay? You know, that's not what this is, where the very essence of Scripture, this is talking about where we are so filled with the Word of God, where it nourishes our very soul. And from that, our lives just flow. Could you imagine the church having its blood run bibline, where the very essence of Scripture flows from it? The justice, the mercy, the love, the love one another. If you read John, where he talks about love one another, do this for one another, be like this for one another. Oh my gosh, if that would just flow from the church, 
richness that we would experience, the blessing of God would be amazing. But we see later on that Jesus' enemies in verse 8 are just blind. They're blind. They just don't get it. They are blind to the whole thing. In fact, they ask for a sign from heaven. And I'm a, I, I love Monty Python, and my wife doesn't get it. I think because it's a real um, kind of an intelligent kind of thing for you to get Monty Python. Not saying that my wife doesn't take it all back. What stays here, said here, stays here. But Monty Python, there's this scene in uh, The Search for a Holy Grail where they're riding along, and all of a sudden you get this, the heavens part, and you get these little cartoon kind of things going on. I think that's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted this, the heaven just to open up and God to speak down and say, this is my son, much like his baptism. And they're saying, listen, we want, we, we've seen all this stuff. We've seen what you can do. We've seen you feed the 5,000. We've seen you feed the 4,000. Okay, okay, okay. We've seen this guy healed. We've seen that happen. Listen, this is what we want. We want a sign from heaven. We want a sign from God that you're really it. And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? I j- you guys are a bunch of idiots. Are you kidding me? You want what? Another sign from heaven? You want me to part the skies and for God to just... You've got to be kidding me. In reality, this was even the devil's temptation to Christ in the wilderness where he tried to get Jesus to do some kind of stupendous thing, saying that if he would do so, he would give Christ the kingdoms of this world. And it was a temptation to take the easy way, apart from God's will. And Jesus would have no part of it. And Jesus, it it says here, that he sighed deeply for them. He sighed deeply for them. 11 and uh, 12 say this. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. No sign for you. You got it. No sign for you. And, and even, even in this, if you look at the phrase in the Greek, I love it. it, it it's an incomplete sentence. It's literally, if you look at it, it shall be given to this generation a sign. Ah! There's no yeah in Greek. But it's, it's like, to this generation, give us. And then you see, he turns his back and he gets in the boat and says, done. The religious people of the day, you want a sign? This is ridiculous. And then in the boat, I love this. These are Jesus' people. You would think that these guys get it. They've been with him. They've walked with him. They've slept uh, on the same, in the same rocks, in the same fields. They saw all the teachings. They've seen the sermon, heard the Sermon on the Mount. They've seen all this stuff going on. And they are just dolls. A bunch of ding-dongs. Physically, Jesus and his disciples were together in the boat. 
but their minds were a universe apart. Isn't that kind of the same thing for us as the church? So often we, we have these Jesus moments or we get caught up. I remember some of those kind of camp experiences where you're, you're at Camp Matok or wherever your camp is and you're just having this Jesus moment. But then all of a sudden you, it's like the next second you're a universe apart from God. Even here we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we walk out these doors. Man, I got a lot of problems. What are we gonna do, honey? We we got these bills, we got this, and we got the family stuff, we got this, and we I don't know how to spiritual leader, blah, blah, blah. and we're just universes apart. And Jesus is saying, listen, he gives them a spiritual warning. He says, watch out. Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Be aware. Watch out. And he's talking to his disciples. And, and if these good Jewish boys, they would have heard this and said, heard leaven, they'd go, ooh, the sin of the Pharisees. Ooh, the sin of, of Herod. So what is this sin of, of Herod? What is the sin of the Pharisees? And basically, it's the blatant, obstinate refusal to believe in spite of evidence. And he's saying to his the church, he's saying to those, his intimate core of groups, saying, watch out for this sin. The obstinate refusal to see me in your midst. My reign is breaking in. My reign is breaking in amongst you. Can you see it? I'm the bread of life. It's breaking in. People's lives are being changed. People are being healed. But for them, they were a universe apart. There are some people in this world, and maybe it's you, who need a little extra help. Like the clue phone is ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing, and you look at him and go, hello, pick up the phone, it's for you. Pick it up. This has happened in your life. 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 The clue phone is ringing. Pick it up. It's for you. And you just, as an outside observer, go, come on. And some people just need that extra help. There's this uh, an illustration of uh, a man that walks into a bank. And he comes up to the teller window and says, listen, um, I, I need some cash. A really pure, innocent kind of thing. And the teller says, well, I need you to fill out this check and sign your name. He goes, no. Well, I'm sorry, sir, you can't have any money. The guy walks across the street to another bank and says, I, I need some money. And the teller says, well, sir, you need to uh, fill out this check and sign your name. He goes, I can't do that. The teller reaches across the teller thing, grabs him by the ears and goes, bang, bang, bang. The man picks up the pen, fills out all the information, and gets the money. Walks across the street and says to the other teller, they gave me the money. What did they do? They explained it to me. Here, if, if you look at verses 17 and 18, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. And he... he Here's something that I did. I numbered the number of questions that Jesus asked them. And listen to this. 
And Jesus, they were, they were discussing the fact that they had no bread. After just having this huge miracle and him giving them a sermon about, I am the bread of life, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, verse 17, Are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Bam! There's the first knock. Then he goes on to say, Do you not perceive or understand? Bang! Are your hearts hardened? Bang! Having ears, do you not see? And having ears, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Bang! And do you not remember when I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets there were? Yeah, 12. Can you hear the, these boys kind of sheepishly going, 12? And then he goes, and, boys, for the uh, 4,000 just a few minutes ago, when you broke it up and you collected it all, how many did you have? Seven. And Jesus goes, yes. And he ends with this question. Do you still not understand? Do you still not get it? The problem with the familiarity, the repeated exposure, kind of like us to church, repeated exposure, Sunday in, Sunday out, small group in, small group out, repeated exposure, repeated exposure, and we just become familiar. Matthew 13, verse 12 says this. For to those who have, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. It's this use it or lose it mentality. It's this, this need for, if the disciples would have truly reflected on the spiritual significance of these miraculous feasts, they would have been advancing far beyond where they were currently in their spiritual growth. They would have seen Jesus as this wielder of omnipotence. The multiplication of bread was a creation miracle. If they would have only pursued this kind of gluttony recommended in Scripture, Feasting on Christ. R. Kent Hughes says this. There's no better shield against spiritual declension, which is decline and weakness, than Christian remembrance. I'm going to give you an assignment. Joshua. Read Joshua 3 and 4. Read Joshua 3 and 4. Grab your pen. I want to see it. Write it down. Joshua 3 and 4, before Thanksgiving Eve. This is the story of Joshua going into uh, uh, the promised land. Finally, after years of wandering, he step, they step into the promised land. And there's this whole ceremony of uh, the priest stepping in and then the people walking through and then... Twelve men were supposed to take these large stones out of the Jordan River and they were supposed to set them up on this huge pile. And it was in the place of Gilgal. Uh, 
a place where they would constantly, every time that Joshua would go into a city and, and do what God had him to do, he would always come back to this pile of stones and remember. He was always remembering what God has been doing. After a terrible defeat because of sin in, in the troops, in the city of Ai, after this defeat of the city of Ai, you see Joshua back at Gilgal, remembering, okay, God, what was it that you wanted us to do? Always have the Word of God taking up residence in our life, and you want me to always be talking about it. You always want this to be in our midst, the Word. You want these words to be taking up residence in our life. Okay, what is it? Apparently there's sin that is in, in coming into our lives, coming into our nation, coming into our people. Okay, we've got to be faithful. Remember these stones. Remember these stones. Remember these stones. God has done it. He's faithful. Thanksgiving is not about turkey. It's not about the stinking pilgrims. It should be about our daily life remembering what God has done. That's what Thanksgiving should be about. It should be a daily habit, a discipline of remembering and re-remembering and re-remembering the stories of God. And as we come together as a family on Wednesday night, that is the sermon we are going to preach. That's the sermon you are going to preach. What are the stones that you have set up to remember God's faithfulness? You might get five minutes from me. Maybe. On Wednesday night. My prayer is that we as the people of God to fight against spiritual declension and weakness constantly remember what God has done and what God is doing. Christ ended with one final question. And it's not just, you know, taking the disciples' ears and banging it on the sides of the boat. Come on, don't you get a time? Come on, don't you remember? But instead, it's more of a searching appeal for His disciples. It says in verse 21, Do you not yet understand? Basically, He's saying, now that I've reminded you that there were 12 bushels left from the Jewish feeding and 7 from the Gentile feeding, you still not understand that I am the bread of life for the whole world. And the question is for us as well. The church. This question is for our own hearts. Is He our bread? Is He the thing that feeds our soul? Do we understand what this means for the way that we live? Do we understand what it means for the world? Men, listen. As you lead your family, are you offering the bread of life? Men, Spiritual leader, are you are you offering the 
spiritual bread for your family. For all of us, as the body of Christ, an extension is what we are offering the world. The bread of life? Or is it nice programs with sweet people? Are we offering them the bread of life who came in the incarnation willingly spread His arms on a cross, shed His blood so that we may be justified before God, so that we may have right standing before God, so that there is no longer wrath We're going to be celebrating communion. And I love now that we are going to be eating bread. But the question still remains. Communion service, come on up. The question still remains for you, as we saw in verse 21. Do you still not understand? He is the bread of life. Has come for us. And on top of that, on the night that he was betrayed, he said, listen, in a few hours you are going to see my blood poured out. And that blood is a sign of a new covenant. Because you have been now purchased with a price of my perfect blood. So this is a a meal that we celebrate together as a body. And it requires us, as we commune together, to sit on the, the green couch that you saw. And maybe for a little bit you need to Remember. Remember the moment where it clicked. Jesus. Cross. Blood. Knee. Painful. Lost. Hopeless. Remembering that. Remembering the love and grace that has been poured out. Celebrate by means of intention. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. So come. All things are yours.